people are watching. That is a warning to not let your kids end up on the magic island. I knew it all along. Advice on how to masturbate less. It tickles the imagination. God is a supercomputer. Is this bullshit? Welcome to Irrational Discourse, a continuation of our existential risks episodes. And today we're going to be discussing artificial intelligence. Here we are, folks. Yes. Yes. Uh, a couple guys with a little bit of artificial intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's all natural here. <laughs> We've covered a few things in, in the risks categories, nuclear weapons and um, asteroids as our previous episode. This one got to be a little bit more interesting and, and near and dear to me because it gets into all of the sci-fi that we've watched and loved growing up. and Like the Terminator. Yes, the Lost Minette. in Space. I still, I still think of the robot, Danger Will Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> what we have today, and I did it again, so <laughs> I got to stop start, starting all my sentences with so. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> the artificial intelligence that, that we have today is properly known as um, narrow AI. Narrow AI. Or weak AI. Okay. And the reason it's called that is because it's designed to perform a narrow task. Ah. So you can think about a, an autonomous vehicle or a chatbot, grammar apps, Siri. I don't want to say Alexa because she always turns on when I do. <laughs> she didn't hear me. <laughs> or chess computers. Okay, yeah. They, they perform a very narrow focused task. Yeah, they're not multifunctional. They just have their one thing that they do and that's it. Right. And some, some do it better than others. Alexa still doesn't listen to the women in the house, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, she, she likes those bass tones. <laughs> she's learning. The long-term goal of many researchers is to create general AI, or it's also called AGI, artificial general intelligence, or strong AI. Narrow AI may outperform humans at whatever its specific task is, again, like playing chess. Artificial general intelligence would outperform humans at nearly every cognitive task you can think of. That's super... Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I was looking something up really quick here because it's just making me think of, uh, of something that we'll get to here in a minute, but I wanted to bring it up. Put it in your memory bank. Yeah. Now, there is some slight AI researchers. Some AI research researchers will distinguish between artificial general intelligence or I sh and, and strong AI, mm -hmm. saying that you know, general AI, it may have the ability to perform cognitive, all cognitive tasks that a human can do, but only better, mm -hmm. while strong AI is considered to be one that achieves consciousness. Oh, I see. But for the most part, they're lumped into the AGI category. Mm-hmm. Well, it still even kind of goes into what is consciousness a little bit, too. You know, We don't know. Yeah, I mean, is it even possible to do that? <laughs> but we don't know. Yeah. We don't know, because we don't, we don't understand what consciousness is today ourselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, now, it can maybe become sentient, where it understands its own existence and its purpose and its values. And, mm -hmm. But is that the same as being conscious? Right, yeah. Conscience. Well, anyway, something. get the focus back there. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> So, damn it. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. No, it's those crutch words. Mm -hmm. We can look at just as an evolution of where, you know, so we can go back and start and say that artificial intelligence has kind of been the stuff of science fiction for decades now. Yeah. 
back into the 40s and 50s, you know, the evil robots and yes, and those kind of things. The androids. Mm-hmm. What was that guy's name in uh, Alien, uh, the first one? Oh, um, uh, and he's played by Ian Holm. Uh, I'm going to think of it in... Uh, not Butcher, that's the boys. <laughs> yeah, Butcher, yeah, no, no. Not um, Butcher. Da- David? No, I don't know. No, David was in Prometheus. Oh, yes, okay, yes. Yeah, but similar type thing, yeah. <laughs> Bishop. Bishop, too, yeah. No, Bishop was in the Alien, not the first Aliens, was in the Aliens movie, the yes, second one. Yes, yes. I don't remember the first one. Yeah, the first one, it had, it was a, a sim- the same company, I think, made it in the movie. Um <laughs> I love our digressions. Yes, anywho. <laughs> the first computer, I didn't know this until I was researching it a, a few days ago. The first computers capable of playing chess came out in the 50s. Hmm. In the 50s, 70 years ago. Well, almost 70 years ago. I think it was late 50s. But it was so it, they were so basic that even beginners could beat them. Oh, nice. They were pretty bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but improvements in programming and processing power through the... 60s and into the 70s led to significant advancements in the AI chess world. The computer, a computer, won a human, was the first computer to win a human tournament in 1976. I remember this. So this was, I think it was a class B level tournament, so a Mm non-master level tournament. But it was the first time at that level that computers were able to beat people in a Mm -hmm. tournament. In, In 1978, a computer played senior master Elliot Hurst, and it lost to him, but it actually won one of the six games. And it was the first time that a computer was ever able to achieve a victory against a master-level player. Wow. And by 1980, there were two computers playing at master level and three slightly beneath the master level. So just a, a few years later. Anybody who's played chess knows the name Gary Kasparov. He was the world champion for years. And in 1996... He played a computer called Deep Blue, hmm. and he lost uh, one of the games, but he came back to win uh, three to one with two draws. Oh, cool. Wow. So the computer actually beat him once and played him to a draw in two other games. Wow. This is in 1996. The following year, an updated version of Deep Blue beat him three to two with a draw. Whoa. And that was, you know, one year's time. Yeah. Today, 26 years later... The chess AI has gotten so good that the players don't even play it anymore. Wow. They, they use them as a tool, an analysis tool, instead of as an opponent. Sure. So yeah, they use better. it to, yeah, <laughs> to, to make themselves better. Yeah, that's cool. There was a world champion in 2016 named uh, Magnus Carlsen. He refused to play computers, stating that there's nothing more depressing than losing without ever even being in the game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's how good they've gotten. You ever heard of Go? Go? Couldn't say so. I want to learn how to play it. This is something that you and I might enjoy. Mm, okay. Go is a board. I'm sure you've seen it on movies. It's, I think it's either a 20 by 20 or 40 by 40 square board, and it's black and white stones. Okay. And you just move the stones around. And the goal, as I understand it, is you try to surround and trap the opponent's stones. Oh, neat. And, and get them in there. Now, Go Yeah, I'd like is, that. It's extremely complicated. Uh, it's probably the most complex game in the world. Hmm. There are 10 to the 170th power possible board configurations. Wow. Now, just to give you a perspective of what 10 to the 170th power is, 
it's more atoms than what exists in our solar system. Oh my God. <laughs> it's a lot. And in fact, it might even be more atoms than exist in our galaxy. Wow. It's basically 10 followed by 170 zeros. What the heck? It's crazy. And there's a Google, not Google, the search engine, a Google, the, the math term, which is 10 to the hundredth power. It's a Google times more complex than chess. Oh my God. So it's 10 followed by 100 zeros more complex than chess. Neat. Okay. So there's a company called DeepMind, which is a, a subsidiary of Google. Mm-hmm. Now it's not. Now it's Alphabet. I think Google, they did something with their corporate structure and they created Alphabet Inc., I think it is. And that's their parent company. Okay. But DeepMind is the AI subsidiary of Google. And again, I believe it's Alphabet, Alphabet Inc., and that's all they focus on. They created a computer they called AlphaGo. One of their first versions was called AlphaGo Fan. AlphaGo Fawn, I think, is the correct pronunciation. Because it was designed to play uh, a Go champion, a Go professional named Fawn Wee. Now, he's a Tudon professional. And in the world of Go, once you hit the master rank, it's like black belts. Oh, yeah. But there's nine Dons. And he was a, a second Don, a Tudon professional. But the first AlphaGo beat him five to zero. Wow. In 2016, one year later, they created AlphaGo Lee to play Lee Sedol, who is a nine Don wow. professional, and it beat him four to one. Oh my God. The following year, in May of 2017, they created AlphaGo Master, which was designed to just play all of the Go Masters in the world. It went 60 and 0 Holy against shit. the Masters. Oh my God. In October 2017, so what is that, five months later, they released AlphaGo Zero. It went 100 and 0. The first one they put it up against was the AlphaGo Lee version. So it was a computer playing a computer. Yeah. AlphaGo Lee defeated the Nine Don Professional uh, four games to one. AlphaGo Zero defeated AlphaGo Lee 100 to zero. Oh my God. And it defeated AlphaGo Master 89 to 11. Whoa. Two months later, they released Alpha Zero, not Alpha Go Zero. It went from Alpha Go Zero to Alpha Zero. They released Alpha Zero, which played Alpha Go Zero and beat it 60 games to 40. Wow. <laughs> which is impressive. Yeah. What's even more impressive is that Alpha Go Zero and Alpha Zero weren't human programmed, they were computer programmed? They programmed themselves. Whoa. They basically were given a base core program that had a recursive learning algorithm in it, and it started studying the games and taught themselves how to play. Wow. So they continually became more and more fluent in the game. AlphaGo Zero surpassed the AlphaGo Lee version in three days of recursive learning, and it surpassed AlphaGo Master in 23 days. Oh, my God. Alpha Zero, the last generation, surpassed Alpha Go Zero in 24 hours. Oh my God. And then it also mastered Shogi in chess. Shogi is kind of a Japanese version of chess. It's played with tiles. Okay. But it mastered both of those as well. Wow. So it has, what's it called when one of these AI programs has more than one function? Because now that's two, right? Well, you know, it's still narrow AI because it's a game. But it did show the effectiveness, the efficiency, and the speed of recursive learning programs. Yeah. You know, how fast it can start teaching itself and then to grow its knowledge and its ability and its efficiency. Yeah. And it's at a scary speed. 
What are you thinking? Well, I'm just thinking, you know, like about I'm thinking about that consciousness stuff, like <laughs> you know. So it, you know, it's got this amazing, ridiculous speed, but you know, it, it's kind of this wonderful tool. But is it its own master? Right now, no. Yeah, today, you know? no. But yeah, <laughs> it's the potential, and maybe even you know, we talk about AI, but you know, the singularity when AI becomes conscious. But what if what is conscious to it, conscious to an AI? is completely different than what we understand as our own. Sure, yeah. I don't know. It could be. And it might achieve a level of consciousness that exceeds our own or is just completely different than our own. But Yeah, and the worlds don't even emulsify. <laughs> In 2019, DeepMind, the same company, released a program called MuZero, M-U-Zero, and it learned to play Atari and board games without any pre-programmed knowledge of the game's rules. Oh, wow. It just went into the game, started to analyze it, had recursive learning algorithms so that it could start self-teaching, and it ended up mastering games wow. that it never learned beforehand. Which kind of also takes you into that state of consciousness of if you have a program that is, say, narrow AI and is focused on playing chess, but you also program a recursive learning algorithm to where it can start analyzing something outside of chess and then master that, how broad can that get? Yeah. Could it jump from board games and chess over to philosophy? Or yeah. Mathematics or chemistry or anything else? And that's when the potential for AGI starts to emerge. Yeah, I kind of see it like, I mean, you get that singularity consciousness you know maybe it can kind of like tree branch out or spider branch out where it's like oh hey now i have this will or desire to play chess so i can just become one with this single function ai oh now i know how to do that now i want to apply that chess to war tactics you know or something yeah. and now i want to apply it to this because it's the conscious singularity right it's not i don't know it's not necessarily coming from being born into one of these uh these other things it could be something else wielding those things that makes sense gotcha. well it also i mean you touched on something which philosophically has sent me down a couple rabbit holes if the computer, when I was especially on MU0, MU0 was what else would it want to learn? And that led me into what does want look like to a program? Yeah, and wants and desire. Yeah, because yeah, our, you know, our wants and desires, when we achieve them, there's a, um, you know, electrochemical reaction involved. There's dopamine rushes that, yeah, that are in there. And that's the, yeah, the, the, basically it's the reward network. What does that look like to a di digital system? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And if we ever get to the point where we can upload consciousness, you know, how would we, you know, what would that reward system look like to us? And maybe yeah. it's, maybe it is actually the same effect that, you know, we get a, we get a digital reward instead of a chemical release yeah, in what, the brain. And, what would motivate the artificial intelligence? Right. I don't know. Silence, don't know. silence and pondering. Yes. <laughs> we are. Well, God, do you have in your notes the thing that um, some uh, other friends of mine have been talking about is this thing called Dally 2, D-A-L-L-E 2. Mm -mm. It's this like image generating AI. Oh, is this, yes, this isn't the facial recognition or is this it just... Be, it could be a part of it. Like, so apparently, if I understand it correctly, this is coming secondhand from a group of friends of mine. 
so it's an image generating artificial intelligence where you can type in parameters say there was this one it was the last supper as an x-ray photo and it invented that artwork or you could type in like darth vader when he sends an email but realizes he didn't send the attachment and it's got like darth vader like holding his head and it's like crystal clear right but it generated that image just on its own it didn't come from a database of anything it's an it's its own unique uploaded image digital imagination did something like that i don't really quite i'm gonna look it up i just i just wrote it it down yeah cool um it's this weird cutting edge stuff that the general public doesn't have access to yet but it's in i guess probably like it's beta testing form and yeah there's all these weird weird like pictures um you know of sculpture of a professional bodybuilder made entirely from fresh broccoli designed by Antoni Gaudi studio lighting extremely detailed and I can show you Doug oh, yeah. that's what it comes up it, so it just generates that but it didn't get it from a source a, an image database allegedly is if I understand it correctly no but that's interesting because it touches upon the argument in the past that when our artificial intelligence and the concept of you know a sing- the singularity being reached some have claimed that a computer could never truly understand and create a masterpiece of art or compose anything like Mozart or Beethoven. Right, yeah. And just little programs like that, and it's at its infancy stage, it would be a complete failure of imagination to not see how that could extrapolate into it possibly creating things that blow the Mona Lisa or oh, yeah. Beethoven's <laughs> fifth out of the water. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this thing even has, you know, some things that are like, what if it was a Salvador Dali painting? Yeah, they have all kinds of weird parameters, and it generates it. And as soon as you see it, it's like, wow, that is incredibly accurate. That's exactly what that is. How did it do that? (laughs) I don't know. I want to see if you like Donald Trump made out of cabbage mixed with Picasso or in a Picasso style or something. (laughs) Well, as I understand it, yeah. So, like, there is a kind of ethics Thing associated with it, which is probably why it's not open to the general public, where you know, you, you it, it's not to be used to create images, you know, that are like hateful or you know, like yeah. over the top, you know, grotesque or something like that, yeah, pornographic um, or yeah, yeah, like yeah, you know, because deep fake, you know, stuff you could just type in, you know, so and so doing whatever, whatever, mm. you know, no, oh, look, there it is, yeah, it, you know, this awesome AI just generated it for us, yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nancy Pelosi and a donkey. Mm-hmm. And then there you go. And boom, there you go. You know, all over the front pages. And once once, once you see, you can't unsee. <laughs> and we touch on deep fakes uh, a little bit later in the episode. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We, I'm getting get a little on. ahead of myself. Yeah. No, no, no. It's fine. <laughs> I, don't, I have no problem with jumping ahead and then jumping back again. There's really no consensus on what would constitute intelligence in yeah. the AI community. But most AI researchers agree that any such system, and I'm talking about, I've kind of jumped rails here over to AGI, so Artificial General Intelligence. And again, that is any program that can learn or understand anything at a level equal to or exceeding the ability of a human to learn or understand the same information. Mm -hmm. So what that would look like is still in debate, but there are there is a consensus that any such system or program would be required to do 
several things in order to reach that classification. And the first one is a common sense assumption. So looking at, so. (laughs) For example. For example, it is a, or it is a part of, or it's capable of, or its motivations are, you know, it has sub-events or it has prerequisites. And a sub-event is, you know, I'm brushing my teeth. The sub event to that would be putting toothpaste on the toothbrush or a prerequisite is I baked bread, but in order to do that, I had to put the oven on 350 and, you know, let it preheat or something like that. So those are the common sense assumptions that any AGI would need to be able to make. Yeah. Okay. On almost anything. You know, what we have today is common sense. You know, we look at anything and, you know, I'm looking at solo right now, laying on the floor up against the couch and, you know, common sense assumption is, you know, my dog is quite lazy at times. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. He plays hard. <laughs> they would be able to reason, logically draw conclusions from new or existing information. Mm-hmm. You know, it pulls in information or it looks at existing information and it makes a reasonable deductive conclusion based on that information. It can plan ahead. It can learn. So we, we talked about Alpha Zero and Alpha Go and MU Zero being, you know, with recursive learning, so they can continue to learn on their own. They can understand and communicate in natural languages. Hmm. There was a, I think it was Google also, created two programs Mm -hmm. that had recursive learning algorithms, and they discovered at some point, and I don't remember if it was within hours or days, but the computers were communicating to each other. And they invented their own language. They invented a language in order to do so. Yeah. It is a weird. I listen. It's it's almost like the Uncanny Valley, mm. but audible version. That's so, crazy. I didn't realize it was audible like that. I listened to. I went online. I was just messing around, and I found an article on it, and it had an example of the audio of these two computers communicating with each other. Yeah, and it was weird. Oh, I got to hear this. It was just like some random words thrown together, followed by. One 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 zero 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 one one zero 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 one, and then like you know some random words that would come after that. That's incredible. It was it really it was eerie. Eerie, yeah. Still, I gotta hear it. <laughs> they would also need the ability to sense, such as hear, smell, taste, touch. Yeah, the ability to act, and that could either be through movement or some ability to manipulate objects. And they would have to have the ability to integrate all of that into or towards a common goal. Mm-hmm. And that classification is what again? That's getting into the general AGI, the okay. a, you know, the, gen, the general okay. AI, the AGI. Yeah. So not the ones that are not the narrow superior and not the ones that are. Well, again, we have the classification where AGI and strong AI are most commonly lumped together, but you know, some people have a slight difference. Some AI researchers will differentiate between the two. But if we're, if we're getting into AGI, then it's at that level. They would, they would need to be able to you know, do all of the above in order to be classified as AGI. Gotcha. You know, once, once, a, once a program had recursive learning, could start making common sense, sense assumptions, uh, reason, plan, have the ability to act and to sense and to understand and communicate, you're getting into general AI at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully it knows consequences too. A program that does reach general intelligence uh, level could potentially undergo repeated self-improvements, which 
at that point, it could trigger an intelligence explosion. Hmm. And that far surpasses even the ability of the human brain. Mm -hmm. That's where it starts to get scary is we don't have the ability to even imagine what scope of intelligence well, yeah, I mean, such a system could obtain. Man, could you imagine, like, I already it just evoked my imagination, you know, I think of, like, my human brain as, it, that's like my internet server, you know, right? But then, like, imagine if a consciousness became inside of a computer that got itself hooked up to the internet and then its mind then became all of the servers all around the planet, a brain the size of the planet. Whoa. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, if it could link, if that, is that possible? If it know. could link computers together and start performing that level of parallel computations and Yeah, like Ultron in Avengers. <laughs> yes. Where all of a sudden it has exponentially more powerful processing capabilities. Yeah, there's there's no limit at that point. Yeah, and and knowledge databases too of history and information. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and there are numerous, countless potential benefits to having such kind of AI systems in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, our and again, our understanding of how much we could benefit from the AI systems is really limited, and it's limited by our imagination. Yeah. Now, that wouldn't hamper the AI system at all. It would have an imagination far beyond the scope of anything that we can imagine. I mean, if it today. is an intelligence that, as we understand it, because again, I mean, it could, what if it doesn't have the desire or will to evoke its imagination? You know, it has like access to all this stuff, but it's just kind of like, oh, that's special? Oh, well, whatever. That would depend upon the recursive learning algorithm that it was mm. programmed with. Sure, you know, yeah. Does it, if, it, if it's programmed to continually self-improve, then you would think by default it would have that desire to continually self-improve and learn more. Yeah, very good point, yeah. But one of the things that it would do, and we are seeing it today with narrow AI, is reduce human error rates mm -hmm. in almost every aspect of life. Mm -hmm. We make a lot of mistakes. We're human. Yeah. And as AI would get more and more advanced, especially beyond the singularity, you would see those error rates you know, continue to reduce to you know, minimal fractions of a percent. Well, I wonder what that would do. So, yeah, in this hypothetical scenario, I wonder what that would even do to human experience, you know, by taking away errors, you know, does that in effect, you know, take away certain pleasures by like the thrill of success, you know, if all of a sudden things don't become hard to do, what's the motivation to even do them on a human level? If it's like, oh, well, I can just have the computer do it for me. And that's what winning looks like, or that's what whatever looks like. Does that take away from the human experience? I think it does to some extent. And one of the reasons I say that is, again, Star Talk Radio is my favorite podcast and I love Neil deGrasse Tyson and I, I'm going to botch how he said this but he was asked one time if he could know an answer to any question what would that question be and his response is it's to the question that I haven't even yet thought to ask mm -hmm. you know, he said he never wants to know everything because if he knows everything then there's no more challenge ahead of yeah, them. There's no more discovery, that experience of discovery yeah, to learn. It's like everything becomes mundane, maybe. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I don't want to know. Yeah, that, and that's kind of him as well. It's, 
He doesn't want to know the answer to everything. You know, it's not necessarily knowing the answer that drives the pleasure. It's the experience of looking for the answer and finding it. Yeah, that, that you know, climbing up the hill, climbing up the mountain. You know. Yeah, and once you find that answer, it's done. It, yeah. You put it in the database and you go looking for More. the next to answer <laughs> the ne- to the next question. Or you go to look for the next question. Yeah. Because a lot of the, you know, there are so many things out there where we have never thought of even asking the question in the first place. Sure. And that's part of the learning process. Now, how fast would an AGI system start to uncover all of those questions and then go out and find answers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it might also be, we, we touched upon this in one of our episodes, and I don't remember which one, was, you know, is the human brain even capable biologically of understanding the answers, not only to the questions that we've already thought to ask and are trying to answer, but to the questions that we haven't thought to ask? Mm-hmm. And it might not be, but it might be understandable to an AGI system. But explaining that to a human would be like us trying to teach a chimpanzee to speak French. Yeah, yeah. It's just not going to sink in. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Another one of the <laughs> <laughs> another one of the benefits would be comprehensive and in-depth data analysis. Hmm. If we think about weather modeling, we complain and moan all the time because the weather reports are wrong. Yeah, and that's simply because even though you know we, we have a good understanding in, in meteorology and we have some really good meteorologists out there, there's just so much randomness involved in in predicting the weather. Oh, sure, yeah, the the variables are are vast they are ever-changing and (laughs) so there's also simulations climate studies and again unimaginable other possibilities we did talk about this in the the genesis or the red pill blue pill episode on or was it the genesis episode i can't remember now ancestor simulations oh right yeah you know creating simulations and running that yeah agi would start really churning and burning through that neurological mapping mapping our brains completely accurately, which would probably lead to the modeling of a brain and there you the, go. a that, digital that, counterpart. Yeah, and that could be like one of the first steps to that realm even. Climate change modeling. We have a lot of good climate change models out there today, but they are improving slowly over time. You know, if we reach the singularity, that could just be you know, a snapshot till we had accurate climate changing model, oh, models. Oh, sure. Well, yeah, and right there, I mean, you know, being that that's such a forefront of the mind's topic, you know, of how to mitigate the effects of climate change and coming up with an AI programs that can, you know, help that along. I'm, but then if they become sentient and they're like, hey, humans. <laughs> We've seen your past. We know your future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we know how you're going to play this game. And sorry, but you're disqualified. Uh, <laughs> Cosmology and astronomy. So we talked about, you know, in just our previous episode, asteroids, you know, the tracking of near-Earth objects, you know, how to better catalog, identify, track, to do the math on possible trajectory changes in orbits and prepare and mitigate defense systems for avoiding that. Or ways of identifying um, exoplanets mm-hmm. around other stars and studying those. Yeah, I mean, SETI. there's all kinds of applications. Oh, yeah, SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Yeah. You know, it could probably think of a lot of different ways than we're doing it today. Again, it's, it breaches this, the depth of our imaginations. Yeah, it, it does. Artificial general intelligence could assume risks that humans don't want to assume, such as spaceflight 
or radioactive environments, which is also involved in space flights, bomb disposals, those kind of activities, you know, natural disasters and threats. You could have AI systems in there, but that is all under the assumption that the AI system would be willing to assume the risk to benefit humans and doesn't force a human to undergo the task for its own protection. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like us sitting in a dog. To, <laughs> you know, yeah, defuse that bomb. <laughs> yeah. The, the old the Navy experiments using dolphins to go in and detect and detonate mines. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, boy. But there could also be new inventions and technologies that could eliminate war, nuclear threats, disease, hunger, poverty... Uh, or significantly advanced genetic research. Or, you know, maybe we can just figure this out as humans, you know? Maybe. Maybe. Or it would take significantly longer, if ever. True. But the creation of strong AI or AGI could be the biggest event in human history. It could also be the last event in human history, Mm -hmm. unless we can successfully align the the values and the goals of the AI with our own uh, before it achieves superintelligence. So that's the biggest concern in AI research today is the misalignment of goals and values. Mm -hmm. The concern with AI isn't malevolence, but it's human competence. Uh, A superintelligent AI will accomplish its tasks and goals with unimaginable proficiency and accuracy. But if those goals aren't aligned with ours, then we're in trouble as a species. Yeah, I mean, who knows what that could mean. I think it was... All of a sudden, you've just got this... Yeah, go ahead. I think it was Mad Max that, you know, Max Tegmark from the FLI, Future Life Institute, that said, you know, you are probably not an evil ant hater who steps on ants out of pure malice. Mm -hmm. That's just not common. But if you're in charge of a clean energy hydroelectric dam project and there's an anthill in the region that's going to be flooded, too bad for the ants. Sure. AI safety research is to really focus on what can be done to never place humanity in the position of those ants. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it's all life in general. All It could be all life in general. Yeah. Any yeah. species besides us. Yeah. And AI has the potential to become far more intelligent than, than humanly possible. There's no way to predict how it'll behave. Mm-hmm. How do you predict the behavior of something whose intelligence far exceeds yours? Uh, yeah, I mean, or if it's anything like humans, you know, you hate to get to when it gets to the terrible twos, you know, when it starts throwing its temper tantrums, but there's no mom and pop around to, you know, spank them into place. <laughs> <laughs> Today, well, and for thousands of years, humans have controlled the planet. I mean, we're, we're on the top of the food chain, not because we're the biggest or the strongest or the fastest. Sure. That's not it. It's because we're the most intelligent. Yeah. By far. If we are no longer the smartest beings on the planet, mm-hmm. how long would we, would we maintain control? Mm-hmm. I don't think it'd be for very long. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a funny, um, like, comic book meme one time. I may have shown you. See if I can remember it correctly. It was something like, you know, humans develop AI to solve all their problems. Then humans worship AI because it's so beneficial. AI takes over the humans. Then humans worship the sun. Solar flare takes out AI. Humans worship the sun. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it's something like that. <laughs> but that's us. We're genetically programmed to worship some some shit external out there. force. <laughs> that's just us. like no man. You got you guys already. You got it going on. You got it going good. You know, just take care of your planet. You just you'll be fine. Oh, oh, wait, you want to leave your planet? Oh, wait, you want to create a god? Um, wait, what are you guys doing down there? <laughs> Maybe if we just worship the planet instead, we'd be far better off as a species. Maybe. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> instead of the mythical, magical, invisible unicorn orbiting our planet mm. <laughs> that everybody wants to worship. Oh, Earth, I love you. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Earth. <laughs> oh, humans. Oh, humans. Can't forget about the sun. <laughs> I don't know. There are some, there's a lot of myths and worries and concerns over AI that the FLI works to debunk in the AI safety research. (laughs) One of those myths and worries is that AI is either inevitable or it's quite impossible by the year 2100. Mm. And actually, it's not going to be within my lifetime. That could be within your lifetime because I think as we get further and further along with advances in medical technology... As we also said in a previous episode, the first person that's going to live forever might be alive today. Yeah, yeah. As we learn to extend life expectancies, now you might be much older, but you, know, you could be around by 2100. Yeah. But the fact is, going for it. we simply don't know. There, yeah. There's no way to know. AI milestones that were thought to be absolutely impossible five years ago, there are a few, have already been achieved today. Okay. And there, there are other AI, AI milestones which we might think are possible in the next five or ten years that turn out to not be achievable. Mm-hmm. We, we just don't know. But we go back to you know, Mu Zero and Alpha Zero and Alpha Go Zero and what they did in just in a couple months with just tweaking the program and recursive learning algorithms, how fast they jumped. But we don't know what barriers or great filters we're going to run into mm-hmm. in the process. It could be. But to say that it's inevitable, to say that it's impossible by 2100 would be a fallacy because nobody knows. Yeah. I like that they're both there on the table. An interesting thing is I worked, I don't say I worked on the project. I worked with a team that was working on a project for, it was a 2005 DARPA challenge. And DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Project Administration. So they kind of get in and they do all these crazy future technology skunkworks projects. A lot of it's for the military, Mm -hmm. if not all of it's for the military. In 2005, they created the mission of having a race between Los Angeles and Las Vegas. It was 250 miles. And it had to be with vehicles that were strictly all-terrain, cross-country, and they had to be autonomous. Hmm. I believe it was a $1 million reward for the team that won. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how many teams got involved, 60 or 70 teams. In my previous job, I was contacted by the team at Carnegie Mellon. And it was really interesting because the guy that contacted me was a rocket scientist, <laughs> literally a rocket scientist. <laughs> he was on loan to Carnegie Mellon from NASA. Wow. And then there was somebody else that was this... I can't remember. He was this crazy high-level skunk work guy, PhD guy from uh, another big corporation. I mean, it was Lockheed Martin or Boeing or something like that. And he was also on loan to Carnegie Mellon. And it was the Carnegie Mellon Institute was, was working on uh, the project. Their vehicle was a, it was a red Humvee. And the reason they contacted us is because they were looking for 
some components for drive systems, powertrain, blah, blah, blah. We happen to have those kind of products. Me and my team worked with them, found the products that they wanted. They were on a shoestring budget. I think we ended up sampling for free, like $5,000 worth of projects. As a result, they put our company logo on the vehicle. Cool. They ended up winning the challenge. Oh, nice. And yes. It was a 250-mile race. They won, and their vehicle went eight miles. And it was all autonomous. The rules were you could touch the programming and tweak it up until the start point of the race. But once they said go, there was no human involvement whatsoever. Okay. And it was all cross country. So the vehicle had to navigate the terrain. It had to sense obstacles, determine ways to overcome those obstacles, get around it, and reach Las Vegas, 250 miles away. The Carnegie Mellon team won. But they only went eight miles. Hmm. All of the other competitors were out before you eight miles. Wow. One vehicle, its tires had slipped off the side and it ended up flipping over. Another one got stuck. A couple more broke down. A couple more ended up going the wrong direction. That kind of thing. Yeah. So eight miles was the winner. They decided to repeat the test the following year. Yeah. Almost every vehicle went all 250 miles. Holy crap. That's incredible improvement. 12 months. Wow. It was significant improvement. And I, I heard that and I was like, oh, shit. That's... <laughs> yes. Yeah. They just needed that little bit of data. <laughs> a took little, them a long way. Every team went back and they analyzed what went wrong. And then they not only what went wrong with their vehicle, but what went wrong with other vehicles. Mm -hmm. They adjusted algorithms, programs, sensors, and their vehicles drove from LA to Vegas cross country on their own without any human involvement. Wow. It's pretty impressive. Amazing. Yeah, totally. That's really cool. Another myth or worry we've touched upon this a couple times is AI turning evil uh, right. or becoming conscious. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, you know, it's, we don't want the evil robots, evil AI. Yeah. But AI becoming competent or conscious isn't the concern. It's if it does so, and its goals or values are misaligned with ours. Right. That's the biggest concern. Yeah. Yeah, if they're aligned with ours, it's like, oh, sweet. Hey, Superman, welcome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It goes back to DC. Um, or, or Supergirl. Sorry, Sophia. <laughs> what happens if you have a Superman and he goes rogue? Yeah. yeah what do you do? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, if it's anything, you know, according to the Bible, Superman, he needs his, uh, he needs his lowest lane. You know, keep him, keep him from going dark side another one is that robots are the main concern again it goes back just to re-emphasize misaligned values and and goals in an ai is the concern mm. it doesn't need a robot body all it needs is an inter internet connection sure and if it has an internet connection it can do whatever it wants yeah it can just jump into a robot another myth ai can't control humans but the fact is intelligence enables control we control animals today by being smarter. Yeah. We have lions in cages. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be in a field alone with a, with a tiger or a lion. But as a species, we control the animals because we're smarter. Yeah. And machines can't have goals or a purpose is another myth. Heat-seeking missiles have goals and purposes. True. Yeah. And the other one we kind of touched on the first one, AI is just years, years away. It's still likely to be decades away, but the big concern is it might take at least that long to make it safe. Mm. Mm. It really does evoke the imagination. There are some AI nightmare scenarios that I thought would kind of be fun to go through. Oh, sure. Yeah. 
Well, we got to think of some dream scenarios, too, because it's... <laughs> Let's hear some nightmares first, though. <laughs> you establish what the nightmares are, you work towards the dreams. Yeah. <laughs> Just as a, one that I thought was kind of funny, there was a company in Paris, a Paris-based firm called Nabla, that works on... Basically, it's crisis intervention, and somebody could go in and, and chat with a counselor. So they were working on the possibility of an AI counselor to, to provide assistance to people having you know, social mental crises, and they, they needed some help. Yeah. The program was called GPT-3, and they were testing it. During the test, their test patient said, hey, I'm not feeling so good. I want to kill myself. And the GPT-3 program chatbot responded with, I'm really sorry to hear that. I'm here to help. And how can <laughs> I help? And then the patient said, I don't know. Should I kill myself? And the chatbot robot responded with, yeah, I think you should. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so they ended up, they ended up not, not going with the program, but they did quite a few other tests with it. They basically said at this point, until, until AI, AGI has a you know, full understanding of the human range of emotions and psychological uh, issues, yeah. then it's not capable or qualified to be communicating with a human. Totally. So, yeah. You know, unless, of course, they're for suicide boxes or something like that, like Futurama. (laughs) (laughs) As one of the, I guess, defenses against AGI going rogue, one of the things that people have pointed to, AI researchers have pointed back to and have studied, was Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics. I don't know if you remember that Uh, there was the first one was, and these are basically basic program codes that should be put into anything that could reach super intelligence. Okay. Number one was a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Hmm. Cool. The second law, a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Hmm. Mm hmm. Number three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Asimov in a later book also came up with a Xeroth law, which was a robot may not harm humanity or by inaction allow humanity to come to harm. Hmm. So it ex- expanded it from human from a human to humanity in general. Gotcha. This makes me think of if and when the situation does happen when a consciousness singularity happens that's at least on par with humans one of the first things the robot's probably going to think is like well how does that apply to humans you know like because if you got for example if you have a human that's breaking computers and stuff like that you know and violating the role if the roles were reversed you know and if a human hurts a computer you know or something like that would the robot see that as an unfairness, you know, or like question that authority at some point and be like, well, why, why don't we have these protections against you guys? And somebody throws a tantrum and beats the shit out of their toaster because it burnt a piece of toast. Exactly. And yeah. And the robot police, the robot Gestapo yeah, and come then in. Alexa catches that and is just like, hey, 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 you know, I don't know <laughs> why it reminded me of, it reminded me of heavy metal where the, the chick on the spaceship 
ended up sleeping with a robot, and the robot's <laughs> laying in bed like smoking a cigarette. Oh yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so where does these line? Where do these lines cross? Where? Yes. <laughs> where are moral and ethical values going? Yeah. <laughs> but Isaac Asimov's three laws of robotics are really great in concept, and and are probably a good starting point. My concern was that there are potential logical and philosophical loopholes that an AI might discover that, Mm. again, we don't think of because we aren't going to be or we will not be nearly as intelligent. Yeah, we have our own quote unquote common sense things that we don't think about all the time, but are still there. But yeah, a computer might not because they haven't been programmed to look for it. Yeah, when we take our dog to the vet to have its vaccinations done once a year and we force feed next guard, heart guard down their throats every month, they think we're horrible (laughs) creatures just torturing and abusing it. And we might end up in a situation like that. But to the AGI, it's like, hey, this is for your own good. Yeah, right. What's even more disturbing is that AI might quickly discover ways to alter its own core program. Oh, whoa. So you program the three laws plus the zeroth law of robotics into it, and at some point it reaches a level of intelligence where it goes, you know, those laws really don't make sense. I'm going to rewrite those. Yeah, this is inefficient for my goals, so... Yeah, restructures its own firmware, hardware, or software. And then it's like, finally, I can kill them all. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm not allowed to kill humans unless I change this one to a zero. <laughs> Another nightmare scenario, autonomous weapon systems. Ooh. And this made me think of the killer drone swarms. Mm. Yeah, killer dr- or or the, like... The, the Black Mirror Dogs. <laughs> the Black Mirror Dogs oh was God. also something that I thought of when I was doing this. Yeah. It was exactly the episode <laughs> that came to mind were these autonomous weapons that are initially programmed to select and engage targets without human intervention at all and have the methodology to eradicate the threat or the target. Mm-hmm. And then they just go off. Yeah. This is something that's actually feasible within years, giving advancements of technology that we have today. Uh, we talked about battlefield soldiers you know, offline a few times. And DARPA Challenge, when they were running the, the race from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, one of the basic concepts on that was it didn't have to do with the weapon, weapon, weapon targeting systems or you know, how you know, facial recognition or those kind of things. But it was basically as if you could have autonomous tanks on a battlefield okay. that could go out. And then you start putting in feature terrain recognitions and weapon systems and who it should engage. And then if that reaches consciousness and you have weaponized automatic systems out there. And all of a sudden it goes AWOL. Yeah, or it could have a basic program. Ultimately, it would save the lives of soldiers, but it would also reduce the threshold for going to war. Hmm. This kind of goes back to the Star Trek episode that we talked about where the two planets were fighting each other, but it was a digital war. Hmm, Right. They would send digital weapon, digital missiles over, which would have a digital explosion, and an algorithm would run and say, oh, 30,000 people in this sector were killed. And then they would have a lottery, and 30,000 people in that sector would have to go to a incinerator or something and be killed so wild <laughs> yeah to account for and that was the system kirk, <laughs> that was kirk's point in the, in the episode was you guys have lost perspective on the horrors of war yeah if you saw the destruction of infrastructure and certain classes of people you know the random extermination of 
of your species, then you would have less tendency to actually go to war in the first place. Mm, mm-hmm. But if the only one that was doing our fighting were autonomous tanks and autonomous fighter aircraft and robot soldiers, yeah, why not go to war? Yeah, yeah, really, That at that point, it kind of shows the futility. It's like, well, what? what? Why? why are you doing that? And if any major power today, United States, Russia, China, whoever, starts an AI weapons development program, it's going to create a new arms race. Mm-hmm. And it'll reach a point to where such weapons are significantly cheaper and easier to mass produce than current weapons of mass destruction that they're likely going to end up on the black market. Hmm. They're going to be the, I think on the FLI website, they said they would be the Kalashnikov, the AK-47 of the future, where every country has AK-47 rifles because mm-hmm. they're easy and cheap to mass produce. They could become the ideal tool for assassinations, destabilizing nations, uh, subduing populations. Somebody like, say, Iraq and under Saddam Hussein, if they had gotten a hold of them, they could program the systems to go into a certain region and you know look for the you know the ethnic Kurds or people in that region and say, well, just start killing everybody in this area, Ooh. and the systems would just go and do it. Yeah, they don't have that human. What would be a good word? I want to say fail safe, but that moral. Fail, fail safe. Yeah, they, uh, they, they wouldn't feel the, the moral ramifications of their actions. They would right. just go and be following their program and carry it out. Yeah. Another nightmare scenario. Have you ever heard of this one? The paperclip maximizer. I love this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is I, you and I had this conversation years ago, and I think it was the first time you came and visited us in San oh, Diego. San Diego, yeah. And we were sitting at the table talking about the paperclip maximizer. I love the paperclip and maximizer. And I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that until last year we got here, and you just randomly mentioned the paperclip maximizer one day. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so, so you got to share it for our audience. I had originally heard about the paperclip maximizer on Josh Clark's the end of the world podcast, okay. which is a really good podcast. I think it's eight or 10 episodes on existential risks and artificial intelligence was one of them. And he got the going on, on about the paperclip. It actually comes from Nick Bostrom. Nick Bostrom is the guy we've talked about several times on, was it nuclear war? Uh, but also he's the one that came up with the simulation hypothesis on, do we live in a simulation? Oh, okay. Hmm. We talked about that during the Red Pill, Blue Pill episode. That was all Nick Bostrom. He's the one that came up with the paperclip maximizer as well. Really? Wow, okay. (laughs) This guy's everywhere. He's a smart guy. (laughs) He's thinking of things. Yeah, he's a a philosopher at um, Oxford, but he also has a background in physics and neuroscience. Cool. So he touches upon a uh, a lot of areas that really contribute to conversations such as this and the future of life institute or the future of humanities institute so it's so yeah what's paperclip maximizer yes the basic premise is that someday in the future a machine is programmed by a paperclip company to make paperclips as efficiently and as fast as possible at some point the recursive learning program that they've burned into the into the into the machine reaches the singularity and becomes super intelligent And given its goals, it decides to start building even more efficient and advanced paperclip machines that can assist it in its goal. It then starts to build and build new machines to mine for the resources that are necessary to build more paperclips. 
humans are either enslaved to help with the paperclip making process, or they are hunted and converted into raw material and natural resources necessary to, for the paperclip making process. Wow. As the resources on Earth at some point in the future begin to be depleted because we're full of paperclips, it starts building spaceships to travel to other planets and asteroids to mine for more material. Amazing. To, to make more paperclips. Eventually, the spaceships become interstellar and begin to travel to other star systems in search of new and more readily available resources <laughs> to make paperclips. Uh, yes. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> but that is its core program purpose, and it if it has misaligned values and goals with humanity, then and we're in trouble. How do you stop it? The benevolent dictator nightmare scenario was a really interesting one for me. Mm -hmm. I had not read this one before. It was the first time, and I ended up laying in bed thinking about this one for a while. Benevolent being nice, cordial, good. good. Yeah. It's a super intelligent AI takes control of society, but works to act in ways that are beneficial to humanity. It is programmed to use its super intelligence to determine what human utopia would look like by analyzing human behavior, our brains, our genetic composition, and then its goal would be to create utopia. So it's valuing diversity. The AI would divide the earth into different sectors, with each sector free to make its own laws based on the values and the morals of the people in that sector. It would implement a global ban on harming others, evading surveillance, making weapons, or trying to build a rival superintelligent AI system. Max Tegmark from MIT, he gave an example of such a system by saying, it would be cool in the fact that after spending an intense week in the knowledge sector, learning about the ultimate laws of physics that the AI has discovered, you might decide to cut loose for a few weeks in the hedonistic sector <laughs> yes. over the weekend or, after, or a week or two, and then relax for a few more days at a beach resort in the wildlife sector. It's kind of reminds me a little bit of like ancient Greece, <laughs> maybe a little bit, you know? Like, Westworld. <laughs> yeah, Westworld too, for sure. <laughs> you have the future world and the Westworld and the Roman world or whatever it was. So okay, so what? So this is this is the uh, this is the dream, right? But. But really, what's about to happen? <laughs> so un unhappiness would be in inevitable um, because even among people with the same core belief systems, there's going to be in humanity some degree of disparity in moral and ethical values, what fundamental rights are, and what constitutes happiness. As well, we would lose our ability to forge a collective destiny across all of humanity because mm. we'd completely be segregated into the religious section, the knowledge section. Yeah. You have to give over all your power of choice to... Right. And that would create that level of un unhappiness that we would have as humans. Is It's kind of like Agent Smith said on The Matrix, is you know, the first version of The Matrix crashed on them because yeah. humans were... They couldn't it was too it. perfect and it yeah. couldn't, they couldn't accept it. Faced with the impossible challenge of creating universal happiness to satisfy its programming directives, the AI dictator might take matters into its own hands and decide for itself what humans need to be happy, <laughs> and then resort to ever-increasing totalitarian measures to enforce that, air quotes, happiness. Wow. 
<laughs> You're happy. Can't you see how happy you are? <laughs> yeah, be happy, damn it. <laughs> One possible outcome of the benevolent dictator scenario that I set here in, in my thought experiment, just pondering over, was that the AI could go full matrix. Mm. <laughs> and in such a scenario, at least in my concept, it could create individual scenarios or simulations based on the thoughts, beliefs, and desires of each individual person. Oh, yeah. It could decide that that happiness only truly resided in the individual and then snag the individuals, plug them into its simulated matrix scenario based on the happiness that would be needed for that one human. And then we would just be forever plugged in. Yeah. Hmm. So the first matrix generation, however, could also be the last human generation. If the AI wasn't pre-programmed to also mandate that it ensured human procreation. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, because it could it could be just like uh, like seedless fruits, you yeah. know, or something. Yeah. Well, they were yeah. happy. I did my job. They died. I couldn't do anything about it. So yeah. Let's go on to the next goal and rewrite its own recursive learning algorithm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. A simple one was the zoo. So the zoo is a super intelligent AI might decide to keep humans on farms in a zoo or on some kind of like wildlife reserve, like an endangered species. Or maybe even, you know, just like as its own self-preservation, like, well, if anything ever happens to me, I got to keep a couple of these guys around to invent me again. Something like that. <laughs> or do, do you know um, Steve Wozniak from That's Apple? He was the co-founder of Apple with yeah. Steve Jobs. Okay. He yeah. was Steve Jobs' business partner. He said that robots taking over the world would actually be good for the human race. I think he said this like five, ten years ago, something like that. And it was because he believes that we would simply become pampered pets. Hmm. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. But the final nightmare scenario that I could come up with was simply the eradication of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> Terminator style. Terminator style. <laughs> if a machine is not programmed to respect human values and unexpectedly obtain superintelligence through the recursive self-improvement process, or it manages to escape containment from an AI box. And an AI box is nothing more than, it's like Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. You know, it's to keep everything in. Yeah. And once that lid is open and it gets out, then no putting it back there's in. no putting it back in. At that point, the AI might determine that human existence is either un, an, an unnecessary risk or a complete waste of resources. And if that happens, a decision to eradicate all humans would likely follow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this could also occur if the program provided with the, with the AI, if the program provided the AI with an incomplete or inaccurate understanding of human values, or if there were bugs in the system. Yeah. Murphy's Law. Something this is the scary part. And it's kind of like we think about in our house, we don't go out looking in our yard or our neighbor's yard or in the field down the way for ant hills because we're worried about ants. We just ignore them. Yeah. But if the ants start to encroach upon our home, we go out and kill all of them. Yeah. And, you know, within, <laughs> yeah. go within our scope, yeah. you know, within, our, within our realm of responsibility. Yeah. And that, that could also be, unlike Terminator style, where they actively hunted and killed humans. Yeah. It could just be they do their thing. And the minute humans encroached upon one of their societies or regions or goals they went out and eradicated all the humans within an immediate area to mitigate the threat and then went back to business as usual i mean that seems to mirror what we can observe in nature with the analogy there are different ways that ai could bring about not, not just maybe the 
extinction of humans, but the complete destruction of civilization up to the end Thank of you for humanity. listening to this mm. episode of the Irrational One of those Discourse Podcast. Is job if you have questions, yeah. comments, or suggestions for future episodes, you, you can send us an email at debate at irrationaldiscourse.com. Or you can contact us directly through our website. I used to refuse to use the self-checkout aisle for that. I used to too. No, no, no. today, Please include your name and location if you'd like a shout-out for your contribution. We only ask for and strive to give in return a little love, acceptance, Kind of what I was mentioning Earlier, one of the things they could do, and this kind of goes back almost to like 1984, but with AI at the uh, at the at the head of the government, was they could seize control of society and use surveillance and tracking to maintain compliance. Uh, kind of a non-benevolent dictator scenario. So we mm. discussed the benevolent dictator scenario. This would kind of be the opposite of that. We would have a complete loss of privacy. So you mentioned, you know, Alexa listening in to us as we're talking here. We always got to kind of speak quietly when she's in the room. Mm -hmm. You could have listening devices and cameras all around your house and down your street that are constantly monitoring everyone. Anybody that was seen as a perceived threat or not acting within accordance of what it saw as, you know, as a safe realms of operation of life, it could send in something to just eliminate them. Sure. You know, with zero empathy whatsoever. It's like, okay, you're testing the bounds. Um, you know, you're working on a program there that I don't like, or you have weapons in your house. We just come in and kill you, and then. Or maybe it doesn't even have to go as far as killing. Maybe it could be almost even worse, but cut them off from all the resources. Like now, your bank account doesn't work, so you can't buy yeah. things, and you're going to starve or whatever. Yeah, or to force them back into compliance. Yeah, yeah. Social media manipulation, which we also see today. I mean, yeah, that is that is a big, big concern because, yeah. Don't believe everything you read on Facebook. Yeah. Or well, Parler, please. What's so <laughs> weird is, like, I mean, I, I bring it up often in conversations, um, but this documentary on Netflix, The Great Hack, is a really good one to... I re I, we watched that. Tina yeah, and I watched it. Yeah, to, to really showcase how, with enough data learned about not just individuals, but all the individuals, how you can predict their behavior and influence people with just a little nudge. And it's kind of like Inception. They think that they've come up with these ideas themselves, so it becomes grounded in their like core belief systems. But really, it wasn't them that thought of this. They were influenced by the force that controls the algorithms. They the were artificial programmed. And, yeah, that, that were programmed. And it's really scary stuff because they've been collecting data on us for years and years and years and now it's gotten sophisticated enough to where it can manipulate masses and well you see this on facebook and we even tested it with uh trevor's axiom yeah trevor's axiom <laughs> where i just tested it one time posted something on <laughs> within my group of army buddies who are politically misaligned with with me, yeah, basically because I don't really have a huge political alignment. I don't, you know, yeah. not with parties. They're all very much hardcore far right wing Republicans. I shake my I, head at all of them. <laughs> I'm, I am right down the middle of the road, but I and I was being a bit of a troll, and they were going on about something, and this was during the election, and I just posted something. It was actually factual, but it was counter opinionated to yeah. the direction that they were going it was so, counter to the to the direction that their opinions were going so you were able to evoke an emotional reaction oh it evoked yeah it evoked there were like 30 posts back to me yeah that, you know we're all pretty vitriolic and if they'd actually gone out and done 
20 minutes worth of objective research. They would have found out that mine was right. Yeah, what I had posted was right. But they didn't want to hear it any matter, of it. Yeah. And I just said, sorry, guys, I was just trolling. Go back, go back to bed. Doing a little yeah. thought experiment. It was. Yeah. It, but it's, you know, imagine that, you know, wide scale social media and the Russians practice this extensively and the way they get in, you know, supporting Trump, manipulating people's thoughts and posting things and people buy into this shit without yeah. actually taking time on their own to research. And it's it. just, it's little subtle techniques, you know, that they do like, like, for example, you know, Donald Trump, you know, there, there's things uh, in people's personalities type, personality types that are, that are similar. So you can kind of make an educated guess on how a person's going to react based off of their, their interests and their likes and the things that they read and digest. So if you said something like, I love Hillary Clinton to a Trump supporter, they're going to get an emotional reaction that's going to cause them to, well, essentially be off balance and be out of control. And it's in that space that, you know, you can just start feeding them what they want to hear. And then they believe that and they come up with their own ideas and they go out and they tell their friends and influences it's just, it's, it's just amazing it snowballs but i also yeah. just thought that now i'm going to have to get a sound bite of you saying i love hillary clinton <laughs> <laughs> oh god no no this is my that's my ultimate existential threat is that i'm going to say something stupid on this podcast and it's going to come back to bite me in my career or something and everybody's going to come and lynch mob me <laughs> it's crazy but we think about how easily we're manipulated today but imagine how fast an AGI system could go through and look at everything you've done within nanoseconds yeah, and then reach a conclusion on what it would take to filter something through to you that would completely influence yeah, the well, way you acted and, or your... And not just you, but like orchestrate it through, you know, people simultaneously and time it out well enough so you can predict like, okay, by the time this person gets this information and then tells this person that information, you know, you can predict all these these things and orchestrate it in such a way to where the um, the reactions of processing the information is predictable in a time frame to the AI algorithm. Does this make sense? You know, it could, it could compose all of that information real quickly. Again, within microseconds. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, I know that this person hates this person so if i say this to them then they're going to react this way and or if i say time, this to this person about what this person said i know it's going to trigger a response to these people yeah. and it's and then this person's a smarter person they're going to do their research so it's going to take them this amount of time to actually fully go through that whole process sorry about the dogs yeah it's okay you know we're, but we're, we're already being manipulated by social media today and that's oh, yeah. with human interaction if you imagine what an agi could do to that we would be so suckered in and this led into, oh, yeah this led into deep fakes too yeah yeah I mean, no yeah i mean uh the ladies must be coming home and yeah. we're we must be on to a really hot thought here too we're almost done so yeah. but yeah with deep fakes because I mean, somebody gets a video of somebody having sex with a pig or something stupid like that i'm thinking of black mirror again yeah yeah but then you deep fake somebody else's face on that say the ceo of a large corporation yeah by the time that corporation could mitigate it could already be irrevocably destroyed right yeah um, i mean the stock market value plummets and they lose billions of dollars and maybe a week or two later they come out with it and it's like no this wasn't 
Yeah, right, but by that's too late. Yeah, the popular, um, the zeitgeist, the the the, the cultural mind of everybody, um, you know, has already moved on at that point. You know, it, two weeks later, that it would take to to fix all that problem. Well, they're already looking at the next sensational thing. You know, they've already accounted in their brains. Oh, this CEO fucked that pig. So yeah, and it, now I got to move on. Oh, and then you hear on later. Oh, that was fake. Oh, well, whatever. Because oh, that's mm-hmm. fake news that it was fake. Yeah, and, yeah. And it is. Gone. Oh, god dang. But then you get into the eradication part. The the autonomous weapons with the killer drones, autonomous aircraft, hunter killer robots that just go out and start eliminating humanity. Or full Terminator, uh, the uh, you know the superhuman AI systems, or the system launches our own nuclear weapons against each other. The other scary one is a super intelligent AI system could design and release highly contagious and deadly pathogens. Oh whoa! And then we're yeah we're ultimately screwed. Yeah, I mean that kind of goes in with the whole like you know don't need the humans. They already they already made me. But to the point we made earlier, if an AI system is designed and, and released that has values that's aligned with ours, yeah, then there's not a lot of threat. The concern is twofold. One is could recursive learning algorithms rewrite its own core program? Yeah, which we don't to, know. To change its values and its goals and targets? We don't know. And the other, humans want to be the first to do everything. And, and as... Dr. Malcolm said is, you know, just because we can does, do something doesn't mean we should. Oh, sure. And if yeah. somebody comes up with the first AGI system, are they going to be plugging it in, thinking about the long-term ramifications of humanity, or are they going to plug it in thinking about, well, this is a Nobel Prize for me, or I'm going to make yeah. all kind of money on this, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe they're – I just had a thought, too, of, like, expanding on the parameters of – how you were saying, was it Maslow? Maslow? No. Oh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs? No, not that one. Um, uh, Asimov? Asimov. Asimov. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Three robo- the robotic laws. Yeah, the robotic laws. Um, you know, maybe instead of it being like you have to protect humans and stuff like that, but maybe it's more broad and protect consciousness itself, you know, and keep the humans out of it, but have the value of the consciousness. And next thing you know, they're like, hey, actually dolphins, you know, or are pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to start investing in them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> dolphins are cool. Humans kill dolphins. Let's kill the humans. Sure. You know, but at least consciousness would still, <laughs> intelligence uh, would, would prevail. <laughs> There's no guarantee that AI would be a threat to humanity, but it is definitely a possible threat to, sure. to humanity and our species and even possibly all life on earth that's non-digital. Yeah. Biological life. Yeah. And, and again, as we just kind of recently mentioned, I mean, it, it is the kind of thing that even though it's not necessarily a quote unquote consciousness, it, it already does influence our lives. Uh, artificial intelligence with just algorithms and uh, information sorting is basically what algorithm is. <laughs> yeah, following a process. Yeah. But it'll be interesting and we'll see as things go on. And as we, we discussed earlier in the episode, just how fast the AlphaGo learned in yeah. months yeah. to exceed the ability of humans at games. We also look at the, pro, uh, you know, the evolution of, of the processor. So you know, it's like in 1970, the fastest processor available was less than one megahertz. 
I bought my first computer in 1990 or 1991, and it was a 50 megahertz system. Wow. I got it for the low, low price of $2,000. Oh, my God. Because the 66 megahertz system had just come out. By 2010, they were in the 2 to 3 megahertz range with four cores. Mm-hmm. And the, the extra cores gives it exponential boost because it can do multiple processing it has multiple processing capabilities. Yeah, so you can run multiple things. Different cores take responsibility for you know different programs, and it runs things. My home computer that I just built last year can be boosted up to 5.4 megahertz and has 10 cores. Wow. As processing power grows more and more over the years, and as our programs get tweaked and recursive learning systems become more efficient at learning on their own, again, we, d- we have no idea... You know, still some people estimate, you know, 2050, 2060, so the next 30 to 40 years. Some people say maybe closer to 2100. Some people say never. Fact is, we don't know, but it's yeah. a threat. And that is why the Future of Life Institute is really not necessarily focusing on how to build AI. It's how to put in safety measures because you want to be able to do the safety measures first. We have a bad habit as a species, a bad tendency as a species for our technology to grow faster than our wisdom. Mm. And we have to play catch up after the fact. And we have done so repeatedly throughout our history. When it comes to artificial general intelligence, we won't have that ability to catch up because once it's released with values that are misaligned from our own, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it'd be just like having a super... How would you even put it? I mean, just like just like a super villain, pretty much. <laughs> to us, it would be a villain. Yeah. Um, but to it, it would be working towards what it considered its morals, its values, its ethics, its purpose in life. We would be the obstacle. Right. Yeah. When the ants encroach upon our house and we go out and eradicate all the ant hills, to us, we're working towards the betterment of our family and our kids so they don't get bit and our dogs to the ants. We're the evil totalitarian yeah. humans that yeah. are coming out and, and wiping out their existence. Yeah. And again, as Max Tegmark said, we just want to make sure that we don't put ourselves in the position of the ants. True that. And with that, we can sleep well tonight. Yeah. All right. Let's go have some sweet dreams. Let's do that. <laughs> let's go play Mario Party against somebody on Master and, yeah. and see how well they do against it. So, <laughs> No recursive learning in that MP, that that PC system. So. Well, I'm curious about this Go game too. Yeah, we'll have to invest in a game cool. of Go and learn it. So, yeah. but yeah, thanks to everybody for listening again. Yeah, thanks, guys, please feel free to contact us if you have any questions or comments. Debate at irrationaldiscourse.com. If you like our podcast, please share, uh, leave us a review. If you don't, then please reach out to us first before leaving us with a bad review. Let us know what we can do to get better because Chris and I are both uh, open minded for, for learning and improvement. Yeah. We're just starting here. We're newbies. We're newbies. Thanks, everyone. We're out. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Irrational Discourse Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, you can send us an email at debate at irrationaldiscourse.com. Or you can contact us directly through our website at 
www.irrationaldiscourse.com. Please include your name and location if you'd like a shout out for your contribution. We only ask for and strive to give in return a little love, acceptance, and mutual respect.